Hello, humans, and welcome to Exposing Isolation. My name is Rebecca Elizabeth Weber, and today is August 25th, 2020. So I just did a part one of what happened to me in my life from essentially before I was born, through conception, up until going to college. And now I want to talk about college till now. And um, so I went to college got really, really stinking involved in everything. Committees, councils, like taking full class loads, making lots of friends. I dated a lot of people that year, just really, really trying to get fully, fully involved. Um, and thinking that, you know, I'm finally free and I'm going to get to start developing who I am as a person and start doing what I want to do. And my dad had agreed to pay for college. And so I think that I'm going to be doing good. You know, I get through the first quarter, second quarter, and then the money starts drying up. And I'm only in my freshman year of college. And I realize that he's not going to pay for college. And I need to figure out how I'm going to afford schooling. I do have some grants um, that I got because my mom and I were so low income. But otherwise, I still need to come up with about $10,000 a year. Um of of money and at that point like that's just like so much money i think my mom was living off of maybe i don't know what to say i think she was making about 2500 a month um at that point and so needing to um like add an additional like almost a thousand dollars a month for me to spend on college was like that wasn't going to come from her and i thought my dad was going to pay for it um but then he didn't. So at this point, I need to figure out what to do. So I become a resident advisor so I can get free room and board. Um, so at least I'll have a place to live and I'll always have food. Um, what I did not anticipate was that being one of the most challenging jobs I could possibly imagine, that it would be extremely triggering and stressful and detrimental to my own personal development and to my own healing journey to get training in this kind of work that we needed to be prepared for and hold continuous space for other people in the way that you have to when you live with the people that you're working with. And so I essentially made it through the first year, but during training for the second year of being an RA, um, I almost died. My body shut down one day and the paramedics came and I don't entirely know what happened, but it wasn't good. The ghost was leaving the shell. I, I, my hands and feet turned blue. I didn't really understand what was going on. And I just was trying to die. I guess I was just done. Everything was just so stressful and I was just done. And so I got to work with, uh, Dr. Gibson, Dr. Emily Gibson at, um, my university. I don't even know why I just said her name. I haven't said anybody's name throughout all this, but she was just such a wonderful person who got all this test run for me and like really just did everything that she could to figure out what was going on. But I remember, and I don't think I will ever forget sitting in her office with her and her saying, your body is too stressed. I don't think your body can really handle stress ever again. Nothing is inherently wrong with you other than the fact that like your body can't handle being this stressed all the time. But she didn't know what I could possibly do about it because I was starting my second year of being a resident advisor. I was a full-time student. She didn't know my family background or my experience level. She just told me the truth. 
that my body was never going to be able to maintain any sort of stressful responsibilities going forward. And she was right. And it couldn't. And it didn't. And even though after that, I spent the following three years running an organization about self-esteem, body image, eating disorders, self-harm, suicidality, and mental health issues because I needed help so damn much that I thought that the only way that I could ever get any of that help was to start an organization that was providing that exact help to others. I thought that somehow that would get me what I needed and that somebody would turn around and look at me one day and see what it was that I was going through and find solutions. I was connecting other people with people who were helping them. I was healing others with my words and my actions. People were getting better. People were feeling better, but I wasn't. And then early in 2015, when I was 24 years old, a couple of years into my relationship with my now husband, several years into running my organization, Middle Women, my body shut down again, a different this time. I didn't bounce back at all. When my body shut down in early 2015, I stopped being able to walk. I stopped being able to eat or function. I just wanted to die. I couldn't do anything. Thomas had to bathe me. He had to slowly walk me around the block to get me outside. It was just, it's not like I had never been miserable before, but my body had never just completely given up to try and get me to take a break. But the problem was, there was no support to take a break. There was no money to take a break. We couldn't afford where we lived if I took a break. At the time, honestly, I wasn't making any money anyway, so I don't know how we were affording anything we were doing as is. But me taking a break, me stopping to try and heal myself, which I knew absolutely nothing about. Nothing. I didn't know how to take care of myself. I didn't know how to deal with multiple chemical sensitivities. I had used scented products up until I had met Thomas. The only reason I had even known about being fragrance-free was because his mom has multiple chemical sensitivity. Before I met him, I was scented as anyone. So by 2015, a couple years into knowing him, all of a sudden, I'm supposed to know how to be healthy. I'm supposed to know how to take care of myself. I'm, I'm supposed to know how to recover. I'm supposed to know how to access help and resources, find doctors, explain my situation to them, go seek mental health counseling, get them to help me with my pain and my situation. And I tried. I went to a lot of appointments. I, I felt like I did the right things. I signed us up for food stamps. I got us on uh, Apple Health. I took myself to appointments. I didn't have a car. I walked. I'd walk a mile like to get there as long as it took me to get somewhere once I had a little bit of strength to be able to do it. And then I would spend the next six days in bed. Like nothing was functional and nobody really knew what was going on. I didn't have a support system. My family didn't really understand. I don't even know what I was even telling them. I remember one day though, when I was kind of maybe a, uh, four months into it, Thomas had a job not a good job, but a job, enough for us to pay rent. I was keeping the house clean and keeping myself somewhat organized. 
I had found spirituality and was finding a lot of hope in that. And I was talking to my dad and telling him that I was starting to feel a little bit better and about like what I was doing that day. And his response was, oh, you're just going to be a housewife for the rest of your life. How disappointing. And that's what I got from him. That's the reaction I got from him for trying to take care of myself. That's the reaction I got from him when I finally started feeling like I was having some success in finding stability. I got, oh, you're being disappointing. I'm embarrassed by how much that triggered me, but instead of continuing on the path that I was on to trying to find some stability in a place where I was more or less safe, I moved up Thomas and my wedding to six weeks after that and moved us from the northernmost part of Washington to the southernmost part of Washington to live on a farm and do something with my life. That was one of the worst decisions I ever made. That farm ended up being really unsafe. And after that, we became homeless. And I still tried to go to my family for help. I even lived in my dad's basement for nine weeks during a summer where we didn't have anything else we could do. And I didn't know what was going to happen. After that, we lived in a tent for three months until I begged my mom's parents, my grandparents, to let us move in. And we have been living with my mom's parents for the last four years. And during this time, not only have I been trying to heal myself and find a way for us to make more money, I've been supporting my husband emotionally. Now, he has his own story, and that's for him to tell. But suffice it to say, he was abused, he was programmed, he was brainwashed, he was gaslighted. He was trained to be useless and subservient to his parents. He was, he went through chronic illness in and out of hospitals. He went through so much that he doesn't even remember because he learned how to disassociate when he was really young. And so a lot of his experiences, he just doesn't even remember. He was barely there. He even developed the ability to fall asleep in doctor's appointments just so he didn't have to pay attention to what was going on with him. And I think I talked about this in an earlier episode, but, you know, he's still adjusting through that. And just because he loves me and he shows up and he's doing the best that he can doesn't mean he knows how to handle the money, do the chores, take care of himself. Just like I don't know how to do things just because we know that we don't know how to do them, just because we can acknowledge that we were hurt and we weren't raised properly doesn't mean that the answers just show up. And so I'm sitting here in August 2020, years and years and years after a lot of the things happened to me. But even as of this morning, I still don't feel heard or acknowledged. I'm not necessarily asking for anything to change externally, but at least internally, I need to figure out how to acknowledge myself, support myself, and maybe surround myself by people who actually see me. So when I'm accomplishing really difficult things or when I just need to be acknowledged for a hard day, I know who to turn to and I'm not setting that self up from, I'm not setting myself up for that. I just, I don't know who to turn to. I don't know who to talk to. And before taking this time to produce these two episodes, 
maybe I've mentioned all this stuff, but I don't even know that my therapist knows each and every one of these things that has been burdening me throughout time. And I'm still holding on to all of this in so many ways that I wish I wasn't. I haven't spoken to my father or anyone in his family for well over a year. And I'm still trying to have boundaries from other people, even in my mom's side of the family, who never actively abused me per se, but think that aggression and abuse and teasing and bullying are funny. And I don't. And I get really triggered when I go to family events and people are like hitting each other and teasing each other and making fun of each other because I've been hit and I've been bullied and I've been teased to the detriment of the safety of my body of my life and I just don't think it's funny. I keep trying to find a place for myself where I can be useful and helpful and teach and at this point I'm not sure what that's going to look like because I just have to start doing things for myself but I don't know how to do them without other people. I don't know. I'm confused. I'm lost but at least I took the time to explain some of the hard truths that I haven't wanted to explain because I didn't want to embarrass anybody. I've never wanted anybody to feel bad or look bad, but the truth is I feel bad. I'm not okay. And until I can find a way that I'm okay, there might be consequences. I might have to talk about things that make people uncomfortable. I might have to out myself and deal with some really hard things. That's okay. I've been dealing with hard things the entire time. If you listen to this, thank you. The only point was for me to just say it. And I got to. So I'm grateful for this platform in that that sense. And I'll catch you on the next one. Bye.